Alright, well like we have been for the last month or so, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, the very first teaching of Jesus' earthly ministry. And our verse tonight is going to be verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his earthly ministry and for his Sermon on the Mount. We thank you also for the Beatitudes. And we thank you that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We ask tonight that you would help us to understand this and that it would change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a couple of weeks now, like I said, a, a little over a month, and we've heard a lot about all these different blessings that have been pronounced. Uh, Jesus starts out and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then last week, blessed are the merciful. And so this week, we look at what it means when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I haven't heard everyone's sermons. I missed a few weeks, and so I don't know if this has been said yet. Uh, but we've done a lot, of, a lot of background work on what it means or what these Beatitudes mean, right? What does it mean that we're blessed and, and all these different things? But I want us to think specifically about when Jesus says that we're blessed, it doesn't necessarily mean he's talking about a, a physical, earthly blessing here and now. Because when we talk about blessing just in everyday life, you know, I think about my wife and I just graduating from college. We had some family come in and they were they were at the graduation with us. And, you know, one thing that typically goes with a big event like graduation is people get you gifts. Right. And oftentimes that's money. And so we received money as gifts. And, you know, when we looked at that and we thought about that, you know, we thought, man, this is this is such a blessing. You know, it's a, it, it is. It's a blessing that, you know, people give you something like like money as a gift, as a way of saying, hey, congratulations, we appreciate you, and that's a good thing, right? And so when we think about blessings, uh, just the way that we talk about them, we, we typically tend to think of physical things, like money, right? And that's just the kind of the life that we live, the people who we are, we are very physical, tangible people, and so when we think about blessings, it's, it's natural for us to think about actual physical things, But that's not what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that's not to say that there aren't portions of blessing that will come from this, right? So like last week, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So I'm not saying that there is no there's no blessing for the person who's merciful, right? There is a sense in which in this life we will receive mercy if we are merciful. But that's not the end goal. That's, that's not the ultimate blessing that Jesus was talking about, right? And the reason that I know this is because of Matthew chapter 3. Now, I want to remind you guys that Matthew is written by one single author, Matthew. He was a disciple of Jesus. And when, when these authors wrote the Bible, they, they weren't just writing down random events. They weren't just recording all these different things that they remembered from the life of Jesus, right? They... When Matthew sets out to write the book of Matthew, he has a plan, right? He wants you to know certain things about Jesus, right? And so in chapter 3, he introduces us to the grown-up John the Baptist. Now, we hear, we've heard about John the Baptist before in, in this gospel, right? But he's a baby. He's leaping in the womb. 
And so now, in the beginning of chapter 3, we see John the Baptist, who's, who's an adult now, he's full grown, and he's proclaiming the coming of Jesus' earthly ministry. So look what he says. We'll start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3. He says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, and so, so John the Baptist is coming prior to Jesus' earthly ministry. And his message is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew is using this to kind of shift his reader's eyes to thinking, okay, John is now preparing us for an earthly, or not an earthly, a heavenly kingdom, right? Now, if you're familiar at all with the Jews during this time, specifically the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jews are looking for a physical king, a physical kingdom, right? This is the reason, like as we read through the Gospels, this is the reason that they end up crucifying Jesus because he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be starting a kingdom, but it's not a physical kingdom. It's not the kind of kingdom that they're expecting and that they're looking for, and so they don't believe him, and they end up crucifying Jesus, right? So the Jews are looking for a physical kingdom, a physical person who is going to reign over them and give them victory over their enemies, That's what they're looking for, right? And so Matthew is cluing in his readers. He says, look, look, look. John the Baptist is coming before Jesus and he's pointing us to a kingdom that's outside of this earth, right? It's not necessarily here and now, but it's coming. And it's at hand, right? And it's it's of heaven. So that's what John the Baptist is doing. And Matthew knows he's doing that, right? And so now in Matthew chapter 5, we have Jesus. And this is the very first teaching of his ministry, of his earthly ministry. Right? He was just tempted in the wilderness and he did not sin. And now he comes out and he comes up on the mountain and he begins to preach. And he preaches the Beatitudes. And so for those of us who are, who are careful readers of our Bibles, we're picking up on the fact that Matthew is, is drawing our attention outside of earthly things. Right? So when we're reading about these blessings, the actual full blessing is not right here and not right now, but it's to come. So when we read tonight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, there's really no earthly blessing for us right now. Right. So let's say, you know, even if I am pure in heart right now, does that mean that I will get a vision of God and that God will show himself to me? No, we don't. We don't believe that. We don't believe that's what Jesus is telling us. He's talking about a heavenly kingdom, one that is not here and not right now. And so when we think about this tonight, I want us to be to be reminded that Jesus is talking about something that's that's not not yet. Right. But it's coming. It's a kingdom of heaven. Okay. So Jesus is talking to uh, the crowds that are around him. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now. The Jews, not only were they looking for a physical kingdom, but if, if you know anything at all about the Jews, they were very much so physically clean people. And, and what I mean by that is more like ritually clean. Okay, So when they worshipped at the temple, uh, they were all about being outwardly righteous, um, having the appearance of one who was righteous. And, and as you read through the Gospels, Jesus attacks this with, specifically with the Pharisees, right? Multiple times, Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup, but inwardly you're filthy, right? He calls them whitewashed tombs. 
He says, the outside looks great, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And so the Jews are people who are very much so concerned about outward physical purity. Like from people looking, out, looking in at you, you look like you're pure. You look like you have it all together. But as we read these Beatitudes, can we necessarily tell if someone is pure in heart just by looking at them? No, I mean, there, there should be evidence. There should be physical evidence of that. Uh, out of the heart, you know, the rest of the body acts. Out of the heart, you will speak. Out of the heart, you will do. And so there should be physical evidence. But, but just me looking at someone like Micah here, I can't necessarily tell if he's pure in heart or not. I don't know his heart. I can't see his heart, right? And that's the same for all of them. I can't look at someone and say, wow, you are definitely poor in spirit, without a doubt. I know that for sure. I can't do that. Same with those who mourn. I can't look at someone and, and know for sure whether or not they, they mourn over their sin and they, they feel that way. I mean, there's ways that we might be able to tell. There's, there's signs that may point towards that, but there's no definitive way of knowing. I can't look at someone's heart. And so another thing I want you to see is that Jesus is he's teaching us that real religion is not about outward purity and outward cleanliness. Right. Not a single time in the Beatitudes does Jesus say anything about you're blessed if you have a certain skin color or you're blessed if, you know, you look a certain way or if you do a certain thing. There is no outward physical qualifications for those who are receiving the blessing. Right. And so what I want you to see is that Jesus is making the case that true religion and true Christianity is, a, is an issue of the heart. Okay, And that's what these Beatitudes are screaming at us. And so it kind of comes to a head tonight. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. He's talking about the actual heart. He's kind of getting to it. Right. So there's a blessing for someone who's pure in heart. And the blessing is that they will see God. That's how all the Beatitudes work. Right. There's a blessing for those who are poor in spirit. The blessing is that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of how the Beatitudes are set up. And so. Thinking about these people who are listening, Matthew's audience, the audience who's listening to Jesus preach. Okay, they're about physical purity. They're also looking for a physical reign. Jesus is tearing down what they believe and and what they're looking for. And he does it by using their own uh, source of authority. Right. So Jesus, when he says, blessed are the pure in, in heart, for they shall see God. He's quoting from a psalm. And we're going to go there. It's Psalm 24. Right. Jesus quotes the Old Testament very often throughout his ministry. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see that he does this numerous times. And I think there's a couple reasons for it. And I just have a couple that I would like to note. Number one, it's the only scripture at the time. There is no New Testament yet. The Gospel of Matthew does not exist while Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, nor at any time in his, his earthly ministry. And so it is the only scripture that anyone has at this time. So that one's pretty obvious. I think the other reason is that Jesus is teaching us that the Old Testament is reliable. That it's inspired. Because nowadays, we typically tend to gravitate towards the New Testament, don't we? Just in our personal reading times, a lot of times hearing from the pulpit, you know, you'll you'll hear the New Testament preached. I love the fact that we're preaching through Exodus right now. It's so good to, to be in the Old Testament, to be reading it, to be learning from it. 
Okay, so Jesus wants us to have confidence in the Old Testament that it is reliable. We can trust what it says. It's not outdated. And then the third point is simply that the Old Testament is actually pointing us to Jesus himself. Okay, so as we have faith in the Old Testament because Jesus uses it, Jesus is confident with it. You know, we will, we will read it and we will learn that it is actually pointing us to him, right? So, Psalm chapter 24, or rather the 24th Psalm. We'll read, starting in verse 3, we'll go down to verse 5. This is a Psalm of David. David, David says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So it's pretty evident just by reading that. It talks about, you know, who is going to see God, who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord, who's going to stand in his holy place. If you're going to stand in his holy place, you're going to see him, right? So David is asking, who is it that's going to do that? Who is going to ascend the hill of the Lord and who is going to stand in his holy place? Who's going to get to see God? Well, let me answer that for you. He says it's he who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's exactly what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? But then David even gives us more. He helps define what he means by someone with clean hands and a pure heart. He says, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully. Okay, so the person who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord, who's going to stand in his holy presence, that's the person who gets to see God. And in the beatitude that we're talking about, that is the blessing. The blessing for the one who's pure in heart is that they get to see God, right? So now David is asking, well, who gets to see God? Who is it? Well, it's the one with clean hands and a pure heart. And then thankfully, he, he helps embellish on that. He gives us more. So the one with clean hands and a pure heart is one who does not lift up his soul to what is false. It is someone who does not swear deceitfully. See, the, the thought of lifting up your soul to, to what is false, it gives us the idea of someone who is, is double-minded, right? And so I was thinking about how, what's a good way to illustrate this, and, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but this is the first thing that came to mind, right? So on Wednesday nights, not all the time, but sometimes we do have dinners on Wednesday nights, right? And so obviously, whenever we have dinner on Wednesday night, somebody has to work in the kitchen and prepare the food so that we can eat it. Because if there's nobody to do that, then there's not much of a dinner on Wednesday nights. And so, if we are lifting up our soul to what is false, the idea is that we have, we have a motive for what we're doing. There's a reason that we do what we do. And trying to be deceitful about that or, or trying to lift up ourselves to what is false is that we, we know exactly what our motive is, right? We, we, we want something, but yet we want other people to not know that. So we want, we want something. So my, the thought was, okay, maybe someone decides that they want to serve in, in the kitchen on Wednesday nights and, and secretly 
They want people to see that they're serving all the time. They want people to see that they're such hard workers. They want people to know that they're always the first one there and the last one to leave, and they, and they, they want recognition for that. I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time that's ever happened. You know, sometimes we have wicked motives like that. You know, we desire attention. We desire things like that, right? But, but you don't want anyone to know that that's your motive. You don't want Josh to know, I'm here so that I can get noticed. Maybe he'll mention me from the pulpit and say, wow, we have, you know, this is the, the best church member award for this month. You know, it's so-and-so. You, you don't want them to know that that's your motive, right? And so you try and do things in a way that when other people look at you and then when they see you doing them, they think that you are doing it because you love the church, because you love God, you love serving people, and you just want to use your gifts and, and be available however you can, right? And that's not strictly just something that happens at, uh, at church kitchens when, when we serve each other, right? It happens all over the place, right? Maybe it happens in your workplace. Maybe you're the person who you're, you're striving, you're, you're trying to climb the corporate ladder to get to the top, and you're willing to step on throats to get there. Right, But you would never tell your coworkers that. You would never tell your boss that. You don't want them to know that you have an ulterior motive for all the things that you're doing. You want them to look at you and to think, wow, that person is just a great hard worker. They're sold out for the company. They're here to do whatever, they, whatever needs to be done. Right? See, that's a person who their soul is given up to what is false. Right? They're trying to make you believe something that's not really true of them. Right? And, and, their, and their inner desire and their inner motivation for doing what it is they do is wicked. It's for their own personal selfish gain. Right? David also says, The one with clean hands and a pure heart is one who does not swear deceitfully. To have clean hands and a pure heart means you're an honest person. Which also goes along with our example. Are you honest? you're alone at your job and you know it's the end of the night and you're closing out the register you know you the drawer is twenty dollars over you could just slip that twenty in your pocket right just say man drawer, drawer was right on everything's good are you honest would you tell the boss hey we got an extra twenty bucks not sure where it came from but here you go you know it's a good day are you honest when you're taking a test at school, you're stuck on a, on a question, you happen to see that your, your neighbor's not really covering their answers and you kind of see it, mark down yours. Are you honest? Do you have integrity? Because David says that there's a person who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord. There's a person who's going to stand in his presence. But it's a person who has clean hands and a pure heart. And that person does not lift up their soul to what is false. They don't worship idols. They don't, they don't do those things. They don't uh, swear deceitfully. They're not dishonest people. But they're honest. They're genuine. All right, so it seems like from David, okay, that there, there, is this, there is a standard. There is a way that we can have clean hands and a pure heart and we'll get to see God. But David also says in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 that there is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks after God. And so like, there seems to be kind of this question, well, wait a second, David. Is there someone who's going to see the Lord or is there not? Well, 
what exactly does it mean to be pure? I think that's, that's the question we need to answer tonight. Jesus says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God, right? So when I'm thinking about purity, my mind instantly goes to the place where I work. I work at a jewelry store, and we work with precious metals, so gold, silver, and platinum. Now, when gold comes out of the earth, is it pure? No. No, it's not. It doesn't look anything like what you'd probably assume, right? This is, this is a gold ring. When you pull ring out of the, or when you pull gold out of the earth, it doesn't look anything like that. It, it honestly doesn't even look anything like gold. I'm sure all of us have seen pictures of, um, a gold brick. You know, just the nice shiny yellow brick, which is nicely shaped and, we think of that when we think of gold, right? Or we think of our jewelry that we have or, or something like that, right? But when, well, when gold is first pulled from the earth, it doesn't look anything like that, all right? It needs to be refined. It needs to be purified because there's a lot of impurities that are, that are in the metal when it's pulled out of the earth, right? And so there's a process that it goes through to be refined. You know, they put it through a fire. You know, they, they melt it down. And through that process, they're able to remove all the impurities, and then what's left is the actual pure gold. Right? And there's another sense in which, you know, let's say you already have a good finished piece of jewelry, and this is a warning for those of you who have pools and hot tubs, but actual chlorine can contaminate a ring. And I I had no idea, I didn't learn this until I worked in the jewelry business. Uh, but there's, you know, if you wear your jewelry in a pool with chlorine or if you wear it in a hot tub with chlorine, it will become contaminated and it'll get these little pits in it. So I've seen, you know, my jeweler has been polishing jewelry and when he's done, it's got all these little holes in it. And you wonder, well, dude, you, you didn't really polish it. Man. That looks terrible. And he told me, you know, that's that's what it looks like when it's contaminated. It gets these little holes in it and you can't get them out. And really the ring or the the jewelry at that point is ruined and it has to be melted down and again refined to be purified, right? So the thought of being pure means that there's, there's nothing that's contaminating. There's nothing bad. There's nothing evil involved, right? And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about our hearts and our lives, right? He says, Blessed are those who are pure. Nothing bad. Nothing to contaminate. And if we're all honest and if we all examine our own hearts, that's not necessarily true of us, is it? Because I think we all can agree that the kitchen example has been us at some point. You know, maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't working in the kitchen. Maybe it wasn't working at your job. Maybe maybe it wasn't anything like that. But it was something completely different. And and you just you had a motive. You had a reason that you're doing something. And you want other people to think that you're doing this for selfish for non selfish reasons. You're doing it completely because you love people and you want to serve people. But on the inside, you you want your own gain. You're, You're trying to build your kingdom, right? We're all guilty of that, right? And so there's a sense in which David is so right that there is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks. After God. So the question becomes, well, we've failed to be pure in heart, and Jesus knows that, and so the new question is, then who gets to see God? David seems to say that there's a person who gets to see God. It's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? But but then David also says that there's no one who's clean, right? 
Paul quotes this in Romans. He says, nope, there is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks after God. And so the new question becomes, who will see God? Who will be pure in heart and have the blessing of seeing God? And to answer this question, we go to Titus. Titus is a protege of Paul. Paul started a church in, uh, in Crete. And he had to leave. Paul was a missionary who would uh, preach, get converts, and then he would set up churches and he would leave. He would place people in authority. And so, so Titus was one of these people. He, Paul placed him in authority before he left the church at Crete. And he said, hey, I want you to put in place everything that's left. I'm going to go and I'm going to make converts elsewhere. Right? And so Paul is following up with Titus. He's writing him this letter to give him instruction. And he gives us an insight into who gets to see God. Look with me in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen up who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let me read verse 14 again. Who gave himself for us To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So Jesus starts his earthly ministry by preaching the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Jesus knows when he says that, that he is the only one who's pure in heart. Jesus knows that there's not a single person listening to his preaching that is pure in heart and will get to see God. Jesus knows that. But he still says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so it's confusing. Well, well then who gets to see God? But look what Jesus did. Look, look how Paul explains this in, in, in Titus. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And key words, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, Jesus preaches that you have to be pure in heart to see God. Jesus Jesus teaches that there can be absolutely no impurity at all found within you. 
And if that's you, you will see God. And that's the ultimate goal, right? That's the ultimate pleasure in all of the universe is that we get to see God. And if that's not your ultimate pleasure, you're not going to be very happy with heaven. Because God is the very highest being ever. He's the most holy, most gracious. And the best blessing we could ever receive is that we get to see Him. We get to dwell with Him. Right? But Jesus knows that we're a filthy people. Jesus knows that Genesis 3 happened. That Adam and Eve disobeyed the, the commands that God had given them and they sinned. And because we are all found in Adam, then no one is pure in heart and no one gets to see God. But Jesus came to earth, became a man, lived a life that was completely pure in heart. You see, Jesus knows exactly that, that you and I are not pure in heart. Jesus knows exactly that we fail. And so Jesus himself is pure in heart for us. And he purifies for himself a people. Who are those people? It's those who believe. It's those who believe that Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross in our place. It's for those who believe that they're wicked and that they're sinful, that they're not pure in heart, that they don't deserve to see God, but they believe that Jesus died in their place so that they can see God, so that they can be pure in heart. And look what the result is. Jesus purifies for himself a people. It is those who believe for his own possession who are what? They are zealous for good works. You know what else we could say? That when Jesus purifies a people for himself, they are zealous to be pure in heart. See, we recognize that we don't meet God's standard. We, we aren't pure in heart. But Jesus is. And when we realize that he is given of himself in his perfection, he stepped down out of heaven, he gave up his crown to live among us sinful human beings, and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross on our behalf. He purifies us so that we see God. That in turn makes us people who are zealous for good works. Zealous to be pure in heart. Zealous to have nothing evil said about us, mentioned among us. We want no evil thought in our heart. We want to be completely pure. Look back with me real quick to Psalm 24. I left out a key verse for a reason. David says, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his presence? It is the one with clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. In verse 6, Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Those who will receive the blessing of seeing God are those who seek His face. It will be those of us who trust in Christ and we give the rest of our lives to seeking to know God. Those are the ones who will receive the blessing. Those are the ones who are going to be pure in heart and they'll see God. So if 
if you recognize that you're not pure in heart, there's a way you can be. You trust in Jesus Christ. You believe that He paid for your penalty. He paid for your sins to purify you. To purify you for Himself. And if that's you, I pray that that makes you zealous for good works and that that makes you zealous to want to have a pure heart. To want to have a heart that's completely devoted to seeking after God and pleasing Him in everything that you do. Whether it's serving in the kitchen, whether it's doing your job well, whether it's raising kids, whatever it is. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for Jesus' earthly teaching. And we thank you that there are a people who will see God. But it's only those who have a pure heart. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here would know that they can only be pure because Jesus has purified them. And they'll be pure if they trust if they believe that Jesus is their sacrifice, he's their sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. If they believe, we will see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.